you're watching We Heart Therapy. I'm Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT therapist and supervisor. And I'm located here in Las Vegas, Nevada. That's where my practice is. And I'm so excited to welcome to our show. We have a sexpert with us. Yes, I said a sexpert, a sex expert. Her name is Dr. Lori Watson. She has a fabulous, fabulous podcast that just hit top 10 on iTunes for Play Radio. I highly recommend it. She's written books. She's an ASEX certified sex therapist as well. So she knows her sex, kind of like the, the new age Carrie Bradshaw. So we're so excited just to have her on our show today. And basically, let's talk about sex. That's what we're talking about today is talking about sex and why talking about sex is so uncomfortable for some people. Thank you so much, Lori, for being on our show. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> Let's talk about sex. Yeah, that famous song, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's always so, fun. It's always fun to yeah. talk about sex. Yeah. So as a couples therapist, and you let me know, you know, because you also work with couples and as a sex expert, one of the very common occurrences that I find with my couples is that they don't talk about sex. They don't know how to talk about sex. And they grew up in homes where they were not taught to talk about sex. Um, a lot of them learned about sex from friends. Um, I myself grew up in a home, a uh, very religious background where, you know, it was really frowned upon. <laughs> so, you know, what have you seen, Lori, from the people you work with? You're right. I mean, about 80% of couples have sex and are not talking about it. Uh, they don't mm -hmm. have language for it. They haven't been taught a way to do it. It's, it's so vulnerable to talk about our experience. I, I think most of us would way rather have sex than talk about sex. Uh, yes. and, and that's normal. That's common. And some of it is our background. And some of it is, you know, we just have never seen it modeled. Which is so interesting because the impact of not talking about sex leads to not having very good sex, right? That is um, right. I, I find so many couples, when you start to ask about their sex life, it's like, uh, I mean, we have sex. One person may enjoy it more, but the other person maybe just goes along, but they, they don't really get much out of it, which I find is a common occurrence as to why couples' sex life isn't so satisfying. And part of that is because they don't know how to talk about it. You know, they were taught that it was dirty or, you know, growing up in the church, there was a lot of shame around talking about sex. Um, definitely, I think a message I got in my household growing up was you have sex, but you don't talk about sex. And mm -hmm. so um, I was, so if you've read my bio, you know that I was married before I married my high school sweetheart when I was just twee, 20 the wee age of 20. I was such a kid back then, but I thought I knew it all. <laughs> right. And, you know, we did not talk about sex and, you know, I really didn't get why it was important to talk about sex. I didn't correlate that that had anything to do with the quality of our sex life, but also I also figured out that because of the shame from the church environment and conservative family that I just felt so embarrassed, you know, like when my husband would try to ask me to speak to him about it, I would just kind of like shrivel up inside. Like, mm, I can't. Freeze, really freeze. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that is ironically how I got my start as a sex therapist was I taught a premarital class in a really big conservative church. And the church required that couples, uh, if they wanted to get married in that chapel, that they come through our class. And it was a big wedding church. Mm -hmm. So we had lots and lots of people come through. And one of the days uh, that we taught was on sex and sexual adjustment. And I would just look out at mostly young couples and they were all kind of nudging each other like, yeah, everybody else needs this, but we don't. And then who came back um, afterwards for therapy was all these young couples with sexual distress. And it, it was kind of surprising because it's not what you would expect. You know, you think honeymoon phase, you know, everybody's having fabulous sex when they're young. But actually the statistics show that within two years of committed relationship, there's a third of couples that are sexless. And we define sexless as basically less than 10 times a year or low sex, having sex uh, less than every other week. Uh, so they came back, they had sexual problems. You know, I was kind of a young married myself. Um, I had grown up and was very Christian and, um, you know, had my own hangups and things. And I think seeing these couples come back, it really drove me into the field saying, wow, there is such a need here. And by the way, I kind of need it too. And so, you know, I was able to grow and take trainings and education and eventually become a sex therapist. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting that you say that, you know, I also grew up in a, in a good Christian household, but very much, you know, I think my mom tried to talk about sex sometimes, which was so interesting because it was also shadowed against these very, very strong, explicit messages around, you know, it, it kind of seemed like sex was bad unless you were married, you shouldn't be talking about it. Um, so it just felt like, you know, you want to talk about it, but you're simultaneously telling me I shouldn't talk about it. And I mean, it was so uncomfortable that I couldn't even say the word in front of my family, right? That's how much shame I was like, ew, ew, no, no, no. Yeah. And you know, getting into my first marriage, you know, our sex life wasn't, you know, I thought, so at the age of 22, I thought there was something wrong with me because I didn't want to have sex. I was like, I'm young, I'm healthy. Something's wrong. I didn't even correlate it to any relational issues, but I also couldn't talk about it. And it wasn't until that marriage ended and I had a experience with um, another partner, I kind of consider it my awakening experience where he kind of taught me in a very safe kind of way. It's okay to talk about sex. I had no idea that that was even a thing that couples did. And it was just interesting because he started to talk to me about it. And then I was like, Oh, that's weird. Like, no. And he could totally <laughs> see me just sort of, yeah. He's only going in my shell. Yeah, his fear yes. kind of set yes. a model for you of how do you yeah. talk about it. That's that's nice. Yeah. I, I think and he removed that stigma. He was like, he made it sound like it was more weird that I wasn't talking about sex. He was like, Well, how does your how did your husband know what you wanted or you know, like what worked for you guys? And I was like, I don't know, he, he didn't like 
I guess we just did it. And, you know, I don't know. And I think not talking about it also creates this lack of openness in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear this, like, we got to turn the lights off. You know, it's like, we can't really be present with that experience. We can't really expose ourselves because even when we are vulnerably exposing ourselves, we're not really sharing ourselves openly because we're trying to mask it with the darkness, like, like body shame or um, I can't let my spouse see me, you know, I can't, I can't make sounds during sex and, um, you know, keeping your eyes closed during sex, which makes it hard to really connect, really sync together. So, you know, when I have a lot of couples come to me, I also find very, very similar, like, you know, we've never just talked about sex. It was never okay. Um, you know, I was just so amazed to find out that other people talk about sex and that it's okay and normal and that that can actually help a relationship. It was mind blowing to me. I think, you know, I fortunately had a mother who told me the facts of life early and who was pretty open talking with me when I was young about it. So I, I was able to always get good information. I, I don't think that I got information about how you have an orgasm or that an orgasm was an you know, important part of sex. I mean, that was all discovery much later on. And, and I do think that the culture that I was in, um, in the church, had a message that on the outside was sex is beautiful and good in marriage. Um, but you weren't supposed to somehow or another know until you got married. And so many young people were getting married with very, very little experience. And that first experience of full sexuality, I think is sometimes kind of like a formative experience. Mm -hmm. And, and it sets the tone for how the marriage is going to be. I mean, people you know, can overcome that certainly, and they can get good information. But many people have that very first experience without education in the Christian church. And that was some of what the kids came back to me for was how their first experience on the honeymoon had gone. And this sense, like you said, of I'm young, and I'm not really wanting to do it. I don't know why. And, and it was part of this constriction of their spirit, even, um, that was supposed to, you know, be free. Now they're married, they should be on the highway, right, of mm-hmm. sexual freedom. But instead, all the early no's, of, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Um, the repressive cultural issues, I, I think even, um, even today, our, our culture is sex saturated. We have so many images, so many songs, so many um and it's not even necessarily about like healthy sex it's just like bam in your face right and i and i think what is worse today is young people getting married or young people starting to have their first sexual experiences there's a performative uh, value you should look like that that's what it should be like so not only are they struggling with what do i feel in my body what do I feel about this person that I'm becoming sexual with? But it's like, and I should look like that when I'm having sex. 
you know, so I, it's really harder, I think, today than it ever Or our first time should be like that. And if it's not, then, you know, oh, sex sucks. And, you know, I don't want to do that. We're not, or we're not sexually compatible. Right. And, you know, sex is, um, it takes a little work and it takes an adjustment. Most mm -hmm. people's first sexual experiences are not the best sex they're ever going to have. And I, I would say I take... Um, you know, on my forms for people who come to see me for sex therapy, you know, I take a history. And, and one of the sad things to me is that frequently women have much lower good experiences than their male partners. So men often have an exciting experience, not necessarily uh, a really connected emotional you know, experience with their partner, but often their body works, they have orgasms and women often don't, uh, they don't have orgasms. They don't necessarily have a great experience. There's often pain. Sometimes, you know, they're discharging their virginity in a drunk party. Um, so they really don't have a connection with their partner. Some, sometimes I get really good histories where they say, you know, I was with, with my first boyfriend, um, you know, we had waited six months to have sex and it was lovely. I mean, still usually not orgasmic for her, but um, yeah. she has a, a positive experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that very common too. You know, you hear the old, the front seat of the car kind of experience. And these are people who, again, aren't given that environment to talk about it. So they feel like they've got to run off into the desert somewhere just to kind of experiment and see what all the talk is about. It's a lot of my That's right, you're in the days. desert. You're in the desert. Yeah, I'm in the desert or maybe the woods somewhere, you know, yeah. you see the horror movies, they're going out and then of right. course they're the first ones that get it. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I watch too much TV. But, you know, a lot of a lot of my my clients have said that their first time was more like we just want to see what all the talk is about, what's the big deal. Um, I mean, when I was in school, we definitely knew who was having sex and it was certainly, oh, sure. yeah, frowned upon. But, you know, again, it's like people joked about sex, but they didn't really talk about sex. They, and what's so interesting is I find, you know, you talk, it's so interesting that you even did like a sex class in church, like, which boggles my mind because I've never heard of any churches doing that. I'm glad that they're doing it because I think it's so necessary. And I wish that we had something like that. But I also find that there's still a lot of mixed messages. You know, it's like sex is okay once you have, once you're married, but again, they're still not talking about sex. They're still saying it's not okay to talk about sex. Whatever happens is behind closed doors. They don't give you an instruction manual to how to have good sex once you're married. They still don't even say it's okay to talk about sex. They just say, you know, now that it's okay, it's, it's okay by the church, go and be blessed and have a, a fruitful sex life. But they just don't, you know, just don't talk about it here. We don't need to hear about it, what happens behind closed doors. So it's like, you're allowed to have it. It's supposed to be satisfying, but they're still not telling us you know, and, and there's still even a lot of strong message around that the role of sex is for procreation and not necessarily for enjoyment, that enjoyment is sinful. So if you're not allowed to enjoy it, then why would you communicate and say, could you do this a little bit differently? Or that hurts me, or I really like this. Um, how could you get over those things and learn to talk about it? 
And I think that what you're saying is many young people who are in the church community are still looking for a voice of instruction about marriage and about sexual intimacy in marriage and kind of the absence of instruction. Um, they're bewildered, they're lost, they don't know where to turn. Um, and, and it is really confusing about how do you build a sexual relationship when um, you, don't, you have no idea how to do it. I mean, all of us, I think, take in our parents' experience in their marriage, um, whoever our parents may be. And I often say that their triumph or their tragedy of their romantic life, I mean, certainly we, we don't witness our parents in the bedroom, but we have that feeling of whether or unless not they have- accidentally walked in. Unless you, yeah, unless you're completely traumatized and accidentally walked yes. in. <laughs> but, you know, we, we take in uh, whether or not there's heat between our parents, whether or not there's chemistry and, and how they kind of shyly, slyly, you know, the innu innuendos, how they talk about it. And I think secondarily, secondarily, the, the church community is also kind of this surrogate parenting voice for young people who are coming up and, you know, early married. I mean, there's often early married Sunday schools, you know, trying to help and teach people how to be married. And there is this absence of good steps. What should you do? You know, how do you make sex rich? How do you build on it? And the fact that you have to build on it, you know, the fact that this what's is not so interesting. natural. Right. But what's so interesting is, and actually my pastor did, my, my, the pastor at my church that I attend as an adult, has talked about sex and I'm so glad right. he's talked about masturbation, all these kinds of things. First time I ever heard these things talked about in church. And I'm like, amen. Right. Finally, like you're, you know, because if you're not given the information, you're going to seek it in places that may not give you the best education. And what's interesting is that the song of Solomon, which I've heard many churches conveniently just skip over or they just, they tell, you know, I've had some of my religious couples and, you know, this isn't strictly pertained to just religious couples. I've had non-religious couples that certainly struggle to talk about sex as well, but I find it more common with the religious couples, but the song of Solomon is all about sex. Like it's about sex between a man and a woman. And I think that was sort of like, God's attempt to give us some kind of a manual, like talk about enjoyment. But, you know, again, with all the shame, it was like, no, we don't talk about that. We don't want to read the chapter. We don't want to, you know, it was like the forbidden fruit. We don't want to tempt you with that. We don't want you thinking about it because again, it's bad, it's evil, you know, or shameful to be doing that. And so, you know, you're right. They, they don't give really good instructions as to how to do this when it's like, oh, you should just know how to do it naturally. And nobody really says that your first time, at least for a woman, is probably going to be painful. It's not going to measure up to your expectations. Um, you know, and I think back to the advice my own mom gave me the night before my wedding, and she just handed me a, a tube of lube. And her advice was, many uh, honeymoons were ruined without this product. And that was it. And I was like... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Here's your sex education on the yes. eve of your wedding. That's, yes, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I think 
you know, certainly there is, you know, lubricant, <laughs> really right. important. Uh, of all the things she could have told you, even though it was last right. minute and, and right. very partial, it wasn't bad advice. I, I will say um, the Song of Solomon, you know, also has a lot of innuendo and reference to oral sex. I mean, it's very sensuous. Uh, and, really and I think people don't kind of know what to do with that. So they shy away from talking about it. Um, mm -hmm. So true. I, my, my church had some better instruction. I remember my pastor's wife said that giving a man oral sex was like worshiping at his altar. And she was, so it was very pro, pro oral sex, or at least pro-giving oral sex. I, I don't remember any um, commentary on receiving oral sex, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, she was, she was all about that. And there was good information kind of about that sex was supposed to be about pleasure, probably more so than I think some churches, but then after marriage, I think they, you know, they didn't want to know. They didn't want to yeah. know about the sexual adjustment and they certainly weren't quite mm -hmm. open to talking about it. I did have mm -hmm. um, Christian girlfriends who they were wide open and mm -hmm. uh, really we talked about everything and yeah. that, that was great. In fact, a couple of those girlfriends, one of them became a therapist and I still am in contact with them and they all laugh. They're like, Lori, none of us are surprised you became a sex therapist because you always love to talk about it. It's <laughs> so funny. It's so funny because I think, you know, in our families, if if we're taught that it's not okay to talk about it between ourselves, then why would we even assume that that's okay to talk about? Like, I think they just assume that, okay, now that you're married, you know that it's okay to talk about. It's like, no, both of us were taught you don't talk about it. So we come into our marriage and we don't talk about it. And right you know, with the girlfriends and stuff. I think that's so important. And I think, you know, one of my favorite shows I, I love to bring up is Sex in the City because that show I think really did a lot for opening the door on women's sexuality. And we have another episode that you guys will have to check out that we're going to be talking about women and sex, but you know, it, it, there was so much discussion about sex that it really started to normalize that you could talk about it. And, you know, when I had that experience with a partner who taught me that it's normal and okay to speak of it between the two of you, it's intimate and it's helpful. Um, I started going to my girlfriends and we had never really talked about sex. And I was like, do y'all talk about sex together? And they're like, yeah, you don't. And I was like, where was that? Like I was left <laughs> off the boat, you know? And so we began talking about sex and, you know, it was, it, changed a lot to be able to first speak about it with them and hear their experiences. It just helped to start normalizing, even being able to speak about it. And it felt like a little more safety that I could speak with another woman about it. Um, and then it, it made it a lot easier to start speaking about it in another relationship. But um, you really need that safety too. If you're somebody who has grown up with a lot of messages around sex, like really shaming issues. Again, it's dirty, it's bad, it's shameful, don't talk about it. And you know that your sex life isn't what it could be and that you and your partner don't talk about sex. You know, being able to even broach the conversation with something like, I like us to start talking about sex and it's a little weird for me, it's new, how is it for you? What were you taught about talking about sex? And just even like, 
starting to tiptoe in that direction? What advice would you give for people when they're trying to change that aspect of their sexual relationship? Yeah, so I like couples to kind of go through the who, what, when, where, why conversation. So I, sometimes I think, you know, who in terms of who's going to initiate, you know, how, what kind of messages did we grow up with? Did we hear from our culture about who should initiate? You know, some people come into marriage and they think, um, or into relationship and they think, you know, um, the man has got to do it. That's his role. Uh, and other ones come into it and they think, no, this should be 50-50, you know, and, and just even beginning that conversation, you know, how did you come to decide who should initiate? Is it equal for you? Are you comfortable when I initiate? Is it, you know, am I kind of waiting on you to initiate? Is it sexier for me when you initiate? Do I like that energy? That's one place to start. What I think about, you know, how do lovers know what they're going to do in bed. Um, sometimes people are really explicit, like, hey, you want to go earn a merit badge and try this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or do you want to, um, or sometimes I think with longtime lovers, um, it's kind of fluid. You, you go with the flow, you know what each other likes. Um, maybe it's just a, um, a mood that you communicate, or, or maybe you very subtly move each other's bodies. And so you're moving from one position to another and you don't talk about it explicitly, but you know, in the past, maybe you have said, this is what I like uh, and this mm -hmm. is how I like it. And so they, they communicate in two ways, verbally and physically uh, that, that mm -hmm. can help. Uh, but what Being you really do, tuned. right. What you yeah. do in bed and what you want to do in bed and what you fantasize about doing in bed those are awesome conversations to have and often fun. I mean, I encourage people, maybe those are conversations you have in the bathtub with a glass of wine, you know, so it's a really mm -hmm. sexy way to have the conversation. Or if you don't feel that safe, then maybe it's, you know, over coffee in the morning and you talk about the, you know, these are kind of my top five things I would love to try or what I really like. Um, where are we going to do it? You know, is it, does it always have to be in the bed? You know, can it be in the front seat of the car occasionally or um, on the kitchen table, on the kitchen table, in front of the fire, you know, all of that mm -hmm. on the stairs. Right. Uh, when is a big, important conversation because, you know, some people are morning people, other people are nighttime people. And um, I often find couples get kind of caught in a power struggle over the when, you know what, well, I have to have it at night because everything has to be done. And I want to just put the day to bed and then I'm free psychologically to have sex. And other people are like, are you kidding? I'm pooped at night. I don't want to do that. I, you know, I got to wait until Saturday morning when I have my energy or whatever. So talking about that. And, and I think if people get stuck there, um, it probably is indicative of a bit of a power struggle, you know, because there's always a noon time. You know, there's always Sunday, two o'clock nap time. You know, there are flexible times when people say we don't have time for sex. I often have them review their uh, couple of days for me. And, you know, and I can find five or six times they could have had sex, you know, but they they are just rigid and they get stuck there. So that conversation. And I, think, I was going to say, I think part of that, too, is the 
you know, I think the ritual that people have built up around having to get in a place of arousal or desire, and they're like, I'm too busy, I'm not really thinking about sex. And again, this is where communication drop off can happen, where, you know, I have my couples like, are you aware of like desiring sex at any point during the day? And when they say yes, they say, well, do you share that with your partner? Do you send them a little text message saying, hey, I'm having a little sexy thought of you or, you know, sex tonight? And they're like, no, I just, you know, I have the thought for a second and then I put it away because, you know, I, I've got a work project. And besides, I know my partner's going to be tired. And I'm like, and then their partner is always like, well, I could have had sex. I, I might have been interested, you know, so it's like they miss these opportunities because they assume that there's no way their partner will be interested and they never give them the benefit of the doubt to do anything differently. And, you know, and then I always talk about, well, what if you guys schedule time together? And again, it's like, oh, well, it has to be spontaneous. And you and I know from the science and the work that spontaneous sex isn't the only way to have satisfying sex, that securely connected sex is actually the most amazing sex you can ever have. And, you know, but if you, if you're both limited to, I can only have sex at night and I can only have sex during the morning, is that even really spontaneous either? So, I mean, you're kind of catching yourself up there, but, you know, when you can talk about it, you can also start thinking about it, which helps you start getting your mind psychologically, emotionally in the erotic zone so right. that when you do get to that time, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We're going to have sex, you know, but without that communication, without being able to talk about it, then we're not able to bridge that gap. And you're really talking about couples becoming aware of their own sort of daily sexual energy highs and lows. I, I love that, you know, because becoming aware of that, then you can capitalize on it. Like maybe I, I know for me as a young person, 10 o'clock, you know, ding, ding, ding. I was at work and it was like, whew, I just, I feel so awake. I feel so alive. Um, sex, you know, would just cross my brain. You know, I wasn't necessarily with my husband, but you know, I was with him at 10 o'clock on Saturdays and Sundays and just kind of learning that about yourself and then communicating that to your partner and saying, I, I love your idea. Send a quick text or a phone call or an yeah. email that lets your partner know, you know, this is my sexual high right now. I'm thinking about yeah. you. I mean, that's wonderful because it kind of stokes the fire, keeps it alive, yeah. um, makes people yes. become aware of it. No, I think that's, that's a great suggestion. What's interesting too, and again, where, you know, being comfortable talking about sex is that, you know, couples think the only way to have a sexual relationship is when they're having physical contact yet, you know, even just sending a text message saying, Hey, I'm having a sexy thought about you, you know, even if you, so when couples aren't having the time for sex, then that means they're not having any kind of sexual connection. And, you know, having that other forms, multiple ways of having sexual contact with your partner, other than just in-person skin, skin contact can also be a way to keep you guys sexually connected, even when you can't be physically connected. You know, so if you're sending your partner a, a saucy or spicy little text during the day, you know, then your partner can respond with, oh, really? Like, you know, what are you thinking about? You know, and you guys can have this fun little exchange sexting. You know, we've all heard of sexting. 
And it's like, why can't we continue with that? You know, maybe when you were first together, it might've seemed fun and risque to send a, a picture of yourself, but now that you're married, you know, or you've gotten into this rhythm, it's like, we stop doing that. We stop sharing that sex with each other. We don't have phone sex. We don't have sexting with each other. I mean, what, how fun would it be, you know, if your, your husband's an accountant and he's doing someone's taxes and then he gets this really fun text from you. It's like, you know, I've heard so many spouses come and say, my wife did that this week. And it was so exciting for me, you know, like just even the naughtiness of here I am like doing someone's taxes and my wife's like, you know, or whatever, you know, so it's kind of fun, you know, made their day for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And and I think you're right that the sexual relationship is something that we build in small ways throughout the day. It doesn't just happen. Boom. At night, pull down the covers and we're going to be sexual beings. It's something that we, you know, help each other co-create a moment of desire. And I'm with you. I think scheduled sex is a good way to at least have a baseline. I mean, I'm not sure couples can have high, high, high times of, you know, sex that if it's without sort of the foothills of regular sex. So I think absolutely schedule it. I mean, we're busy once you got kids and two jobs and, you know, little energy, making sure that it's scheduled is great. I, I actually also encourage the person who has the lower libido to be the one who schedules it. And, and what I say to them is don't put it on the calendar, put it on your calendar. So it's like, don't, don't build the expectation with your partner that Thursday night, I'm going to have sex with you because then that adds pressure, but put it on your calendar Thursday night. I'm going to have sex. I'm going to let my partner know. And what do I need to get there? Maybe I need a nap. Maybe I need extra rest. Maybe I need a little bit of time to myself on Wednesday night so that I'm more prepared to enter the sexual experience on Thursday night, which is a merger experience, but I feel like I've had enough autonomy so I can do that. So I, I think scheduled sex is great. Yeah. And it really gets the wheel spinning, you know, so that again, you can get yourself into that erotic zone. Cause you know, they say like your brain is your, one of your most powerful sex organ organs. I don't know why I can't talk today. <laughs> one of your most powerful sex organs is your brain, you know, getting yourself to think sexually about your partner, thinking about yourself sexually. And again, if we're not comfortable talking about sex, we're usually not comfortable talking about scheduling sex or having sex. And these are all missed opportunities. You know, we find out that our partner, you know, if, if we're somebody who is a busy mom and we need certain things so that we can have less stress on our plate so we can be in more of a sexual place, you know, a lot of people, miss out that their partner was actually willing to do some things for them to take it off their plate to help them get in that zone. You know, all of these things fall into the caverns if we're not even comfortable talking about sex. So, you know, some important things here, I think is sex, communication, talking about sex happens in multiple ways. And one of the really important ways is in the bedroom when you're having sex or wanting to have sex, how you can coordinate moves, um, start to really tune in to each other and explore and, and have fun, but also out of the bedroom, whether, you know, you're also just having a sit down over breakfast and talking about what's going to happen in the bedroom or just 
talking about scheduling sex and, and, you know, your desire, your libido, having sexual play or banter or fun, you know, all that's really important. And so if you're sitting here watching this and you're somebody who isn't really comfortable talking about sex or you grew up in a house where you're not comfortable and, you know, I think it would be great to, you know, come up with some ways that you can start to examine your own beliefs. Cause I think the first conversation you have to have about your views on talking about sex is a conversation you have to have with yourself, go into your own heart and ask yourself, you know, what was I taught to believe about sex? Um, what is my move around sex now? Do I talk to my partner about sex? Um, can I sort of joke about sex, but I have a hard time really having intimate conversations about, um, you know, I really like this or I don't like that, or could we do this or what would you like? Those kinds of things. What is your comfort level around things that happen in the bedroom and communicating in the bedroom? You know, um, were you taught that, you know, there's shameful messages around making sounds like you're too embarrassed to make sounds. So you can't really signal to your partner when you're enjoying something or not enjoying something. Um, just really having that conversation inside saying, how comfortable am I talking about sex and where did this discomfort comfort um, level come from? You know, what was my education and what would it be like to start to ask my partner if it would be okay, if they, if they think it would be delightful or you know, are they embarrassed about sex or are they longing to talk about sex, but also not knowing how to bring it up? Mm -hmm. uh, what other kinds of things would you suggest? I, I think that is one of the hardest places, right? To really talk about the touches that we like and what turns us on. I think there's an inherent shyness in some people about that. Maybe they don't feel this right to pleasure or they feel somehow or another, if I share what I know, that may threaten my partner. There's a lot of reasons that people don't share, um, mm -hmm. just to that comes up inside them as a resistance to this. But I think mm -hmm. even as I was listening to you, uh, Dr. Bugatti, it was like, you have such a freedom and a, a spirit of openness about talking about it. I'm just hoping people feel that as they listen to this, I was thinking, I, I'm going to send couples just to, to watch us because of the way you are so permission giving about it. And I think that's important. I don't think that um, many people have heard it's okay and it's necessary and it's important to tell your lover mm -hmm. really is explicit things. You know, I, I like to be touched in this way. Um, you know, I like, yeah. I like to be caressed here. I like, I like it in this order. This is the way that works for me. When I was uh, a young married, I remember a girlfriend said, you know, that whole baseball thing for second, third home, that really, that's the order I like it in that works. You know, it's just great, you know, and maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe you need, you know, lots more foreplay and lots more touching. Um, or maybe sometimes you, you know, just want to have a quickie and, how do you express that and talk about this is what I like? Um, I, I do mm -hmm. say, maybe this is a little spicy, but I do say, you know, it'd be lovely if you could even show your lover um, mm -hmm. how the touch should go with this, the right pressure, mm -hmm. the right stroke, um, kind of demonstrating and, 
and talking, I mean, that's another way to communicate is a demonstration. So mm -hmm. uh, I would say, please, please tell your lover. I, I think most people really do want to know uh, mm -hmm. and they want to know what their partner enjoys and what turns them on. Some couples, some of my um, young premarital couples or my early married couples, I do sort of like these body diagrams where it's just a, a blank diagram of each body and I have them number where they like to be touched first, you know, like, you know, one through 10 and you put the number of the order on the part of the body and, you know, you guys share each other's map and sometimes they're surprised like a man may want to go right for the breast, whereas a woman wants her neck first, or, you know, maybe wants her feet rubbed or, or wants to be, I mean, it's different, but being able to even like, you know, where are my erogenous zones on my body? Where do I like to be touched first? You know, cause sometimes if you go to a, a certain area first, it can be kind of a turnoff or, you know, so being able to help each other understand, but again, if you don't feel comfortable talking about sex, it's going to be hard to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't comfortable talking about these things. And I had to give myself permission. And luckily I had a, you know, safe experience to start examining my own beliefs, but that's exactly where I had to start was, you know, am I having the kind of sex life that I want to be having? And, you know, why does it feel so weird to talk about it? You know, when I'm in the bedroom with my husband, you know, if I make a noise, why is it that I feel like I've got to put a pillow over my head so that they don't see my face or my expressions? You know, what is that about? Why do I turn away? Why can't I really let myself be in this? Why do I feel so much shame of saying, move your hand a little to the left or up or down? Or, you know, like, what is the big deal? Why is this such an issue? You know, and so I really had to sit with those myself and examine, you know, where my beliefs came from, how those impacted my moves and sex and the kind of sex I was having and how others might be experiencing me, how my husband, you know, might have been experiencing me sexually and, you know, and then starting to open up that door of communication with a partner um, or, or your spouse, like how comfortable are you talking about sex? Um, Maybe you're actually really comfortable, but because you thought I was uncomfortable, you didn't want to push me. And now you're like really excited. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk about sex forever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So really just giving you guys permission because it will, it's one of the biggest important factors that you can incorporate into helping take your sex life from zero to wherever you want it to be, it's not going to happen without communication, body communication, physical communication, you know, being in sync attunement, but that verbal communication too, because a, a lot of times verbal communication can be a precursor to that physical communication right. too. Absolutely. And sex is glue. You know, we need to be bonded in our hearts and our bodies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Dr. Lori, thank you so much for being with us. Now you have some books, you have blogs, tell us where people can find you, what materials you have out there. Okay, great. So speaking of talking about sex, that's kind of my latest endeavor. Um, I am the co-host of Foreplay Radio and it is found wherever you find podcasts. Uh, we have hit the 
top 10 and I am with a co-host, George Fowler, who is a guru couples therapist and a pleasure to work with. And we are trying to have both a factual and fun conversation about sex. And he's a, he's a bit of fun. So that's been a great endeavor. And I am on psychology today. Um, Married and still doing it is my blog there. You can find me at awakeningcenter.org. That's my practice. I do do intensives uh, where people fly in for the weekend. Right now, I'm not taking new patients in general, but um, that is one way to see me if you would like to do that. And uh, I would just love to touch base with your audience. Uh, that's This has been fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on it. And you've written a book, right? Yes. Yeah, I've done a few things. Okay, Wanting Sex uh, Again is my book and you can find that on Amazon too. And that's a really good book for communication. It kind of breaks down all the different stages and problems of libido, but it's, it's not just for people who have low libido. It's also people struggling with, you know, how do we manage the chore wars and the power struggle in that stage of life? What do we do about menopause? You know, there's trauma issues that are discussed, people who have been sexually molested and the who, who, what, when, where, why conversation. How do we get through talking to each other about oral sex? That's all in there as well. Wonderful. And so your book's available on Amazon. You can yes. find Dr. Lori Watson on 4Play Radio, wherever you find podcasts. You can Google her, find links to her blogs on Psychology Today. She's written many articles. Um, so make sure that you check her out and uh, definitely subscribe to her podcast. It is fabulous. And, you know, thank you again to our viewers for watching We Heart Therapy. We are also a podcast. And so wherever you find podcasts, you can also find the We Heart Therapy podcast. You can also follow me, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, on Instagram and Facebook. And I have a book coming out as well in December. It's most more geared towards therapists. It's about having relentless empathy for challenging and resistant clients. But um, I've had lots of non-therapists read it and give me their perspective. And they said they loved it and they got so much out of it. You don't have to be a therapist, but if you have a difficult person in your life, this book will definitely help you with how to shape a, a more tolerable connection with them. So check that out. You'll be able to find that on my website, drbugatti.com or Amazon. And I just want to say thank you again, Dr. Lori Watson, for being on our show. And thank you so much to our viewers. Make sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way.